0: Hello and welcome to City AM's daily podcast, The City View. I'm Andy Sylvester, editor here at City AM. I hope you had a wonderful bank holiday and are back to the grindstone today. Big news out of BP this morning, and indeed lots to talk about in the world of central bank economics. I'll be discussing both in just a minute with CMC Markets Michael Hewson. But in the meantime, here's what else is going on today. Mixed response from investors to calls over the weekend to break up HSBC, shares up a little in London and a little in Hong Kong in response to the Chinese insurance giant Ping An going more public with its calls for the bank to split its Asian operations from its rest of the world operations. The bank, of course, still HQ'd in London, been here for 30 years or so since it took over Midland Bank, but most of the profits generated in Asia. Lots of controversy recently as well over HSBC's relationship with the Chinese Communist Party and with Hong Kong's leadership. So that one is going to run and run. In bank news, also Citibank today admitting that a fat finger from a trader uh, almost triggered a flash crash last week. Indeed, caused almost sorts of chaos on the Stockholm exchange. Elsewhere, Pfizer's first quarter revs have exploded in comparison with last year. Setting in stone, it's avoided the much feared COVID-19 cliff edge. The decline of COVID-19 and indeed the number of vaccines given out by Pfizer going down had spooked investors but the pharma giant appears to have used its money wisely. £20.4 in revenue in the first quarter of the year, 77% increase on last year. All of that buoyed by the antiviral pill Paxlovid. Uh, Brewdog, the embattled brewer, is to hand out shares worth around 120,750 staff over the next four years. Launched the first ever profit-sharing scheme in its history and is looking to move on from a rift with disgruntled former employees. Founder and chief exec James Wan, never too far from the headlines. Uh, responding to a very damning BBC documentary in the middle of last year, which accused him of generally a pretty miserable culture at the firm. You'll all remember, of course, that open letter from former employees accusing Watt of publicity stunts and much worse. Anyway, he's giving away his stake um, and will, he hopes, uh, bring workers on side to mark the group's 15-year anniversary. Elsewhere, good news for Card Factory, all those delayed pandemic weddings resulting in a boom for the greeting card industry. Boris Johnson, a reportedly been called in to try and twist the arm, no pun intended, of Arm, the Cambridge-based Semiconductor firm, to list in London rather than in New York. And of course, uh, continued row in Europe over whether or not the continent is too bar Russian oil and gas in the near future as war in Ukraine continues to rage. Um, but much of the discussion today, and indeed for the rest of the week, will be about the energy companies. The rest of the discussion will no doubt be about rate rises. Um, and to talk about both of those with me is CMC Markets' Michael Hewson, back for his fortnightly slot. News from BP today, Michael. I think it's fair to say that this is one of those corporate result stories that, dropped at 7am this morning as I rolled over to check my iPhone, I mean you were already up on about on your laptop, but as (laughs) I rolled over to check my iPhone um, it looked very much like a business story that was soon to get caught in the political crosshairs and by about 10 past 8 on the Today programme this morning on the radio it was obvious that it had lots of chatter Mm. about windfall taxes, lots of chat about bumper profits, Mm. but it wasn't really a day of bumper profits for BP.
1: No, I think if you'd, if you'd read the headlines from the mainstream media, the focus would have been on the underlying replacement cost profit of $6.2 billion for the first quarter, which was up from $2.6 billion this time 12 months ago. But that overlooks the not you know inconsiderable fact that um, BP's had to take a $29.9 billion, $29.3 billion write-down on its Rosneft stake and any, of, any and all the other assets that um, um, it's exposed to in Russia. So actually, the profit or loss attributable to BP shareholders was a loss mm. of nearly $20.4 billion. So I'm not sure... What these politicians think they're going to be um, imposing a windfall tax on? Yes, BP did announce they were going to do another $2.5 billion buyback, and you could certainly criticise them for that. And you could certainly criticise them for the fact that um, their capex over the first quarter is $2.9 billion, which is considerably below the number in Q4, as well as the number 12 months ago. But to suggest that they're making obscene profits, um, Overlooks a uh, not inconsiderable important fact that they posted a huge loss.
0: Yeah, and if you were, you know, Bernard Looney sat down in the office today, looking at the headlines, looking at the barracking that the company is getting from politicians. It should be said, mostly in the Labour Party for these mm. alleged profits. He must be th- sat there thinking, oh, "Well, hang on, we we did the right thing by getting out of Russia. We could have stayed." Our profits mm. would have been, you know, more, imp- far more, whether imp- they would have existed for one thing. Um, mm-hmm. Have we not done the right thing? Um, and they would have got a kicking for that. And now they're having a kicking for, you know, making money as an energy company through underlying profits. They must wonder whether politicians really, I mean, it's probably a wider question, but wondering whether politicians really get business at all or whether they just see it as something to kick from time to time.
1: I think it suits a particular political narrative. It's very easy to blame energy companies for all the woes of the global economy, but the fact of the matter remains, and it's an inconvenient fact that we need energy companies and perhaps if governments thought more about perhaps trying to encourage them to invest in renewables rather than kicking them all the time we'd have much we'd have a much more constructive debate about it. yeah, when I actually looked at what Mr. Looney had to say this morning, he is mindful, obviously, of the look mm. that um, you know bumper underlying replacement cost profits brings because he's committed to spend about 18 billion pounds in the UK by 2030 in pursuit of these transition costs. So I don't think it's lost on him that these numbers were likely to get picked apart. But if you want to pick apart numbers, let's pick apart these. In 2020, BP lost $20.3 billion Mm. um, when oil prices went down to around about $15 a barrel. Now, last year, this was followed by a profit of $12.8 billion. So it didn't even cover the previous year's losses. And this quarter, BP have lost $20.3 billion. Billion dollars. So over the course of the past two years, they haven't made a beam.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Bernard Lully doesn't help himself. I didn't help himself when he referred to the company as a cash machine. Um, I think that was his one misstep uh, recently. But you mm. did see today a certain level of appreciation that you, you do. Unfortunately, have to play the political game from time to time. But I think that the thing for me in the windfall tax is, as you alluded to, massive losses in 2020, and I don't recall um politicians queuing up of either stripe to say well it's time to bail out the energy companies because otherwise they're going to go bust and not be able to you know to keep the lights on next year um so it's sort of if you're gonna if you're gonna demand actually and also there are by the way other tax implications for energy companies anyway or over and above the the usual news element they already pay
1: a lot of tax anyway over and above what ordinary companies pay in any case so um the focus needs to be much wider but also, I think the discussion really needs to be much more mature, much more mature, mm. and less infantile.
0: Yeah, well, quite. Um, we are we are never infantile on this program, um, <laughs> as you know, Michael. Why don't we have a look at the all week ahead? Because mm. our front page today: a thumbs up, uh, uh, two thumbs up, really. One in in a, holding a US flag, one with a British flag. We're expecting rates to go up both sides of the Atlantic this. Week, um, hmm. much priced in, but just just give us the the read through of of where we are and what the what the markets are expecting because I think we'll, we'll all be pretty surprised if it doesn't work out that way.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I think the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, has already surprised markets today by raising their hmm. headline rate by twenty five basis points, which was slightly more than expected. I think there was an expectation they might hike, but a little bit of uncertainty because of the federal elections that are due later this month. So obviously that's now shifted the focus on the Federal Reserve and to a lesser extent the Bank of England on Thursday. So what are we expecting? Well, we're expecting at the bare minimum from the Fed 50 basis points. I don't think that is in doubt. Mm. I think for me, I think the bigger um, concern or, the, or, or the, the biggest thing that I'm looking at is the Fed's forward guidance ahead of, their CPI, uh, ahead of CPI numbers next week. Are they going to do another 50 basis points in June More importantly, what are they going to do with their balance sheet? Because I think there is an expectation that perhaps they might also announce uh, the beginnings of a balance sheet reduction program of around about $95 billion Mm -hmm. a month. So I think that could well be an outlier. What do they do with their growth forecasts? What do they do with their inflation forecast? So at a bare minimum, I would expect to see a 50 basis point rate hike. as well as an announcement about balance sheet reduction. So what does that mean going forward? Um, It shifts the focus to the Bank of England, obviously on Thursday. Now, at the moment, I think markets are pricing in 25 basis points. But as with everything with the Bank of England, it's about their forward guidance. And we've got the first quarter GDP next week, um, which is likely to be, it's not likely to be great, given some of the indicators that we've seen for March, the decline in consumer confidence, the horrible retail sales numbers that we saw in March. And the Bank of England is in a bit of a bind because ultimately they're going to be hiking rates into a inflation spike never before seen, I think. 54% mm. rise in energy prices, council tax going up, um, and, and pretty much a whole host of other... Yeah. Um, costs going up. The biggest problem, though, is the inflation impulse is being exacerbated by a decline in the value of the pound against the dollar, Um, which means that if they're dovish, they're going to make that much worse and sending the pound down even lower. So they've got to strike a balance. Do they go for 50, perhaps, and surprise the markets, Um, as well as revising down their growth forecast and revising up their inflation forecast or they go for 25 and say they're committed to hitting their inflation target with a whole host of other rate hikes as the economy develops
0: yeah it's going to be something certainly one to watch i think as you say there are there are fewer questions about the fed decision um with the bank it's it's yeah i mean they're, they're in the middle of Mm. If, if we weren't on the, the, the radio, I'd use a ruder word, but they're in the middle of a storm, to say the very least, mm-hmm. at the minute, and it'll be interesting to see Andrew Bailey's way well, out. Um, just before we go, and whilst we've got you, interesting manufacturing numbers out of, of China today. Um, Asian markets are off to a slow start this morning. Um, you start seeing that impact of, the, of, of various lockdowns and zero COVID, and I guess markets must now be, despite all of us thinking rationally, surely China is giving up on its zero COVID policy, and um, There seems no sign of that. Not,
1: no, China isn't giving up on its zero COVID policy, at least not yet. You know, and you talk about the manufacturing numbers, and obviously they are very disappointing. But for me, they paled into insignificance to the services numbers that we saw at the weekend, which fell even more sharply to 41.5, which is, you know, massively um, in contraction territory. And the fact is that while manufacturing is widely acknowledged to make up a significant proportion of the Chinese economy, services is now much bigger and almost 50% of the economy as well. So if the Chinese consumer isn't spending and and, and they can't, if they're locked down in Shanghai with the potential to be locked down in Beijing, then China isn't going to hit its five and a half percent GDP forecast by the end of this year. Uh, And that does present a real concern, I think, for global economic growth. On the flip side, however, it has pulled oil prices down, which should, I think, if it continues, offer a little bit of a respite um, for hard-pressed consumers when they go and fill up at the pumps.
0: Yes, indeed. There's always always a bright side, Michael. You always manage to find a bright side. Thanks so much for joining us, as ever. We'll see you again in a fortnight.
1: Absolutely. Cheers, Andy. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Michael. That was Michael Hewson of CMC Markets. That's all we've got time for today on the City View podcast. Something of a canter around global markets and global corporate results. We'll be back tomorrow for much more of the same, I'm sure.